So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Acts chapter 2. Uh, we're going to look at the first 13 verses as we finish today what has been a year-long journey through the book of Acts. And we, we uh, finished up in the actual text la- a couple weeks ago, and then we've done the last three weeks of kind of an epilogue, which to kind of the tag on to taking it from here, how do we live out in the future what we've learned from this journey called resurgence and understanding that what happened 2,000 years ago in the book of Acts wasn't just a great story or nice history. It was actually put there for us to understand that God continues to work that way today as a part of a normal faith and following him through the power of his Holy Spirit. So we've talked about how God's power is for everybody, God's mission is for everybody, and today we're going to talk about God's spirit is for everybody. And we'll get to specifics in just a moment. Before we do that, I wanted just to, to pause to, to pray for a moment. Two, kind of twofold. One, to prepare our hearts for what I believe God wants to do today. And the second thing really kind of comes out of that. And that is this, that if you're like me this week, you know, you're watching the news and you're watching the Hurricane Dorian and what's going on there. And then, of course, sadly, yesterday we had another shooting in our country, um, which continues to happen. Again, this is almost daily, uh, uh, definitely weekly. And, and if you're like me, I don't know if you felt this, but there's just a sense of frustration like, okay, so you're watching a hurricane which you have no control over, and then you hear about another shooting again which you have no control over, and there's this sense of thinking like, God, what in the world are you doing, or what are you not doing? You know, there's that sense of feeling like, God, things are so out of control, and, and as I was feeling that this week, the Lord reminded me, I can't change weather patterns, I can't change people's lives. I can't stop somebody from shooting somebody. But I know one thing I have control over is my surrender to myself, to Jesus. That's the only thing I have the ability to to be in control of, of whether or not I surrender to him with my life and I let him accomplish what he wants to accomplish. What is going to change the world around us is not pointing the finger at people out there. It's us surrendering our lives fully to Jesus here. Because if we change, the world will change. But if we don't change, if we're not willing to say, okay, God, whatever you want to do, however you want to do it, I'm surrendering to you then we can't point the finger at anybody to say, hey, it's your fault, because it starts with us. And so this morning, as we talk about God's Spirit being for everyone, I want us, and I'm going to pray in a moment, I want us to be willing to surrender to a place where God is the one who calls the shots in our lives. The biggest battle of humanity started back at the beginning of time in, in, in the Garden of Eden, when Eve decided to take the fruit that the enemy or the, uh, the Satan was offering, that the servant was offering to her, She was making a decision, and Adam along with her, to do something that all of us do. She'd made this determination. She would rather choose the difference between good and evil, wrong and right, instead of letting God do that for her. And that's what we've done for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. But if you and I were to surrender and say, God, you choose what's right. You choose what you want to do. I'm simply going to surrender to you. I bet you we would be shocked at what God would accomplish in our lives. Instead of us trying to play God, why don't we let God be God? And that's what I want him to, us to be in posture and position to do. Can you do that with me? Can we pray that God would do what he wants to do today? Lord Jesus, as we talk about your spirit, and Lord, we know that we are in a, in a context, in a season where there are a lot of difficult things happening around us and in our country and in the world. And so, Lord, we, we pause and we do ask that you would continue to allow Hurricane Dorian to go out to sea. We do pray, Lord, for the Bahamas right now that is getting a direct hit. I pray for your supernatural protection over the lives of people who are there. And, Lord, as well, we thank you that you are a God who is, is present in the midst of sorrow and suffering and pain and loss. And so right now we ask that you would be present with those family members who have lost loved ones in Texas, those who are recovering, Lord, from their injuries from the shooting. And we pray ultimately, Lord, that you would begin to change the hearts of people as we surrender ourselves to you. 
so that, Lord, more and more we would see the transforming work of your spirit so that we don't see the repeated shootings and tragedies across the world and across our nation. But, Lord, we see people who have been transformed by your spirit. And we want to experience that today. So we surrender ourselves. We say, Jesus, your will be done, not ours, on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So as I mentioned, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. And we're going to talk about what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is, we're going back again to the beginning of our journey, which was last September. It's been a full year that we talked about at the beginning. We, last week, if you're here, we talked about how God's mission is for him. We talked, went back to Acts chapter 1. Now we're in Acts chapter 2 as a reminder that God's Spirit is for everyone. And let me explain what I mean by that. So because of the diversity within our church in terms of our own spiritual backgrounds and our religious upbringings and, and our, our theologies of what we think about who the Holy Spirit is and how he works, what we've been through on this journey over this last year, it's been amazing. I have personally witnessed people in community groups and in Sunday morning gatherings genuinely experiencing what we would call being filled with the Holy Spirit and God's power showing up in their lives. But at the same time, I've watched people, some people contend for that experience and not have it, and others back away from it because they're afraid. But what I want to talk about this morning is this, is that God's Spirit is for everyone. And this is what I've said through the whole journey. Normal Christianity includes what we would call being baptized in the Holy Spirit. So when you say yes to Jesus, you give your life to Him, you understand that you're broken and sinful, and through His death on the cross and His resurrection, He provides forgiveness for you that reconnects you with God, and, and, and then He deposits His Spirit in you. That's what the Bible tells us. But there's something that happens for most people subsequent to your experience of salvation where somehow, finally, God gets all of who you are, His Spirit gets all of who you are, and then you are baptized or filled or empowered for His mission in the world. And that is for everyone. And it's not for what we would classify Pentecostals, which, by the way, do not like that term, because Pentecostalism is normal Christianity. It's biblical Christianity, the fullness of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, okay? So that's why normally I do, but people, what kind of church you go to? I hate to say Pentecostal because it kind of puts us out on a fringe, and we're not. So understanding that this morning, whether you're coming with great fear and anxiety this morning because, oh no, they're going to talk about the Holy Spirit again. It's like, get the, get the seatbelt on, it's going to get crazy, right, all that. I'm going to ask you to let God put your mind at peace. Because you, if that is your posture, you are missing out on what God has for you. Now, on the, on the flip side, on the other extreme, because this is where we end up camping, and I've watched us camp in these two camps during this whole year journey. We're freaked out by what might happen with the Holy Spirit showing up, and then we go to the other extreme, depending on our background, is that we're not weird enough. Seriously, I've had people... We come with agendas. It's like, no, this has to happen. I heard this happening in a church, so that has to happen. Otherwise, we don't know. And those are the kind of things that now, what are we doing? We're actually abusing the work of the Spirit. Because God doesn't come to give crazy stuff to say, oh, yep, God showed up. No, God comes to give power, not about what happens in this moment, but what happens in the next moment. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not about goosebumps on a Sunday morning in a gathering. It is about the power of God every single day of our life. And if all we get is goosebumps, then we are foolish. Because it isn't about the experience and service, and we'll see that today in this passage. It's about what God wants to do in our life every single day. So whether you're coming from the side that says we need to be crazier, and you're coming from the other side that says, oh, heck no, don't get any more crazy than we've been, then you need to both lay those down and listen to the Holy Spirit from the inspired Word of God and what that means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Got it this morning? We got that? 
Okay, with that understanding, let me read, starting in verse 1, and then read down to verse 13 of Acts chapter 2. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a loud sound, like a, a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, uh, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judah, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians, and we hear them telling in our own tongues mighty, the mighty works of God, and we're all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. I want to stop right there. What in the world is going on here? So let me, let, before we look at some things that this passage answers for us regarding being filled with the Holy Spirit, what is the context? Which, by the way, just so you guys know, half of our AC went out. If you're a little warm on this side because the air conditioning is not working, we shut it off because it was blowing hot air, so it's better than it was. If you're sitting on this area, you might feel like you're in the Arctic Circle right now, so either way. So if you're too cold, move over here. If you're too hot, move over here, okay? So I don't know, is this heaven and hell? We won't say that, right? Okay? <laughs> And if you're in the middle, you're just right. No, I think Jesus calls that lukewarm. That's probably not a good thing. That's a whole nother message. So anyway, just stay where you are and we'll be good. Okay. So understanding what the context is, remember, this is a group of people we understand from scriptures, about 120 people who are gathered in what we call the upper room. It's a room in somebody's house. They're all packed in. And this 120 people, we, we kind of pick up the story like, okay, they're just, they're at a prayer meeting and this great stuff happens. No, no, no. Let's, let's get the context. This is a group of people who have literally given up everything to follow Jesus. If you rewind the clock a little bit, this is a group of people, because we know how it unfolded, that as Jesus was walking the planet, they began to listen to him, they began to believe him, they saw the demonstration of God's power through him, they watched him be crucified, they witnessed his resurrection, and they realized that Jesus was God, and they gave their lives to him, many of them literally walking away from jobs, family, and possessions to follow him. Their lives were on the line, and so when they gathered, it wasn't like some nice little tame prayer gathering. This is a group of people that were, they really, they, they were all in. They were expecting God to show up. And so this is the context. They've, they've surrendered all to follow Jesus, and now they're saying, what's next? What's going to happen next? So I want us to kind of get that, that frame of reference, because it's really important as we look at the questions this passage answers. So five things I want to touch on that we can learn about, uh, about the work of the Holy Spirit and how we experience his fullness in our life. The first one is this. Question number one, how do I continue to be filled with the Spirit? We start with this because uh, you and I, many of us have experienced what we would call being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. But we have momentary experiences where God's power or maybe something emotionally happens to us, but then we move to a, a moment where we don't feel and experience God anymore. At least we don't. We don't think we do, but he's still there. How do we live in that daily? Well, what's interesting is there were two things that were true of these people. We kind of mentioned a little bit earlier, and that was they were leaning in and they were leaning on. Two things that we have a tendency to miss. So you don't have to go back there, but we were in Acts chapter 1 last week. And if you remember verse 4, Jesus says, wait. He says, wait, before you get going and get busy with my mission, 
wait, because in your waiting, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to empower you. Now, when Jesus said wait, he wasn't saying, why don't you just hang out and do nothing? And then I'll show up and boom, then you go. There's a difference between waiting passively and waiting actively. They were not waiting passively. We know why, because they've left everything. They're not going to wait passively. They're actually expecting that God's going to do something. God's going to show up. Why? Because what he's called them to do back in Matthew, when he said, hey, yeah, go make disciples and, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded. We all know how easy it is to obey, right? Jesus called them to something absolutely impossible. And then he says, wait, why? Because you know you need power. So what are they doing? They're waiting actively. Well, here's an example of it. So anybody watch track and field? Anybody seen a 100-meter dash before? When, when somebody is at the start line, how, what is their posture when they're about, the gun's about ready to go off? Do they, do they stand there with their arms crossed, tapping their feet? Wait, man, when is the gun going to go off already? Hurry up. No, 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 they're not. They're down in the blocks. They're listening. They're quiet. But their muscles are tense because they're waiting for the moment when the gun goes off. So boom, they hit the ground and they're gone. And that's this anticipation. There's this active waiting that Jesus says, wait, because I know you're ready to go, but you need to wait. And so there's this almost this pent-up energy of, God, we want to go, but we're going to wait. Why? Because we know we can't do what you're calling us to do. So what are they doing? They're leaning in. And I've, we talked about through resurgence. One of the things that, that we will struggle with in responding to is we respond with apathy, which means I'm going to do nothing. I'm just going to stand. And the Bible actually says, James says it in James chapter 4, verse 17, that's actually sin. Because when you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, the Bible defines that as sin. Why? Because you're missing what God has. So they're leaning in. They're expecting. The second thing that's true is they're actually leaning on each other. Because remember, this is a group of people that's given up everything. And they're all gathered together. And I can guarantee, it's not in the text, but I can guarantee this wasn't the first time they all got together. This had probably been going on. It's, in fact, we'll, we read later in the end of the chapter, on a daily basis, they were getting together. Why? Because they realized they needed each other. And the way they continued experiencing the fullness of the Spirit in their life was through the fellowship and through community and being connected relationally. Why? Because how many times when you get out isolated by yourself, you start thinking wrong things and you start doing wrong things. But when you're in community, people hold you accountable and remind you, no, 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 God's Spirit is at work in you and we contend together. So we're leaning in, God's going to do something, and we're doing it together. That's why you've heard us talk about community groups is the core of our church. If you're not in one, you're missing out on what God wants to do in your life. And I'm not understanding the case. It's extremely important that we are in this thing together. So the first question, how do I continue to be filled with the Spirit? I lean in every single day expecting that today God's going to work by His Spirit through me. God's going to fill me. I do that almost every morning. I'm praying, God, what are you doing today? You need to fill me your spirit because I'm going to be over my head. Every counseling appointment I go into when I'm in the middle of the laundry mat doing laundry love, when I'm walking my neighborhood, I'm constantly, God, this is beyond me. What do you want to do? Fill me again with your spirit. Constantly. Why? Because we need that reminder. It's not our power. It's not our ability. Second question this passage answers for us is how do I recognize the presence of the Holy Spirit? How do I know that, that God's spirit is at work in me? So again, this is really important. We don't get to define and tell God, okay, God, here's the box that you have to work in, then I know it's you. There's very few times in the Bible where that actually worked with God. It worked for Gideon when Gideon flew out through a fleece and he told God to make it wet or, or dry according to what was going on. But you don't see that repeatedly where people say, okay, God, here's the way you have to, here's my hoop, jump through it. God doesn't play that game. He gets to define for us how he works. But how do we know he's at work? Well, there's really two important images in verses 2 and 3 that Luke writes about that describes 
the way the Holy Spirit works. They come in the form of wind and fire. Let's talk about wind for a moment. In, in, in chapter 2, they heard what? A mighty rushing wind. And this is, this is, what does wind do? Wind brings change. Wind is disrupted. We kind of know that. We live in Simi Valley, right? It's like the wind capital of the world, it feels like sometimes. Anybody ever seen wind do anything like move something that you didn't want moved? Yeah. Like your, your patio furniture or your barbecue or your umbrella in your backyard that now is in your neighbor's yard? It happens to all of us. And you always say that. Why? Because wind is something you can't see, but you can feel. You can't see it coming, but you can hear it coming. And then wind comes and does what wind's going to do. It has its own mind, in fact. In fact, that's kind of the way the Holy Spirit works, is God has the, his mind, not our mind, and he does what he wants us to do. And that's why sometimes when the Holy Spirit shows up in your life, guess what? It's disruptive because he's rearranging stuff in you. He's not letting everything remain the same. And that's part of the anxiety that we fear in surrendering ourselves to the work of God's Spirit is why? Because he's going to mess stuff up. Please, we need to be messed up. I don't, want, I don't want my house in order and perfect all the time. I want, I want God to come, in a sense, we use the term, wreck me. Because my life is not what it's supposed to be if I'm the one that's calling the shots and I'm in control of everything. But God is. So the wind comes and starts rearranging things. And that's why when I see people experience the power of the Holy Spirit, they lose a sense of control. Not, not being out of control, but they're no longer the ones that are hanging on to their lives so tightly anymore. Because they're open to wherever God leads and whatever God wants to do. There's a guy who came up to me after first service, and God really was working deep in his life, and he is not an emotional guy, and he was crying. And he said, I don't normally do this. He goes, but God was, when you we were reading through this passage of scripture, he goes, God was just stirring so much in me about a direction for my life, and I'm not sure, but I know I am basically messed up inside right now in a good way. And so he goes, I said, well, what are you going to do? He goes, well, I'm going to keep going reading Acts chapter 2 and let God reveal to me what he wants to do. I'm like, that's exactly what you need to do. That's God in a good way being disruptive in our lives. Second image that is used is the image of fire, and fire always has to do with ultimately renewal. We always see fire as something being destructive, but in verse 3, tongues of fire come and separate over them. Now, that's a little weird. That's a little freaky. We can be honest with that. But it's the image of fire that's so important because fire always renews. We always think about fire destructively, but what happens after the destruction of fire? We just saw it this last winter and spring. We had fires, extreme fires, and then we had rain, and the result was what? We had what we call a fire bloom where not only were the hills green, they were colorful because why? There were flowers that were dormant in the soil for years until the right context happened where there was the burn off of what was there and then the water obviously prior from with the rains that created this beauty that lasted what? For like a month maybe, right? Now you look at the hills and like, oh, back to brown, right? But what is that? That's the power of fire. That's the renewal of the Holy Spirit. That's why this, this image of wind and fire is so important. Why? Because when God shows up by his Spirit, what does he do? He renews us. He empowers us. He inspires us. He gives us courage again. Things that we've lost are restored when he shows up. And that's why it's so important because this, again, when God shows up, God is going to be God, which means he will do what he wants to do, which, by the way, God is never the one who comes and intentionally causes you anxiety or makes you do crazy things other than going to things and facing fears in your life that you, don't, you can't because you don't have the courage to do it, but God fills you with his spirit. But understand, God comes with an agenda. It's his will, and we have to surrender to that in order to fully experience it. So that's why there's this concept of the wind and then the fire as well. And then there's a third question. The third question this passage answers is, what do I need from the Holy Spirit? 
Three things that stand out. Look at verse 4. The first thing is the Holy Spirit brings gifts. It says in verse 4, it says, And they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So this is a reference to a gifting that is placed on each person in that context as a demonstration of God's Spirit coming on them. Now let me explain a little bit about the gift of tongues. Because there's broader understanding that the Holy Spirit brings gifts. And there's lists of those gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 13 and 14, in Romans 12, in Ephesians 4, even in 1 Peter 4. They're all over the New Testament. But specifically, let me just talk about tongues for a moment because this is the one we get hung up on the most. The sad thing about being filled with the Holy Spirit is that for many people, it becomes about tongues. And it's not about tongues. It becomes about whether you speak in tongues or whether you don't speak in tongues. That misses the whole point of the power of the Holy Spirit. But let me just give you the context for this. So this is me, this is me extrapolating beyond the text. I, this is not heresy, but this is a, an educated guess from the context reading here and all of also my own experience about the gift of tongues. I believe that there is one gift of tongues, but there are two elements of its expression. One is a public gifting. And that is where God gives somebody the ability to speak in a language they do not understand in a public gathering with either themselves or somebody else in the room having the interpretation into the native tongue of the people who are gathered so there's understanding for all. That is a biblical thing. That's what was going on in Corinth. It was happening all the time, and they were abusing it, and so Paul had to bring correction, but that's, that's what happens. Now, there's a second element to it, and this is the one I think is really that God makes available to everybody, and that is a private gift that I think that's what was happening in Acts chapter 2, although there's public and private, is that there's a gifting that comes that God gives you the ability to speak in a language that you don't understand, not for public display, but for personal intimacy with God. Now, the reason I share this is because in my own experience, and I experience so many people that I know, they speak in tongues, but they've never been given a tongue in a public gathering with the interpretation. That's me. I would, if God wants to give me a tongue with someone interpreting, I will do that in a heartbeat, but it's never happened to me. But I speak in tongues almost every single day of my life. And so for me, and that happened shortly after I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Not at the moment, but shortly after I experienced that. And that's something that I've been doing for years and years and years and years. And it usually comes in the form of prayer or praise, which, by the way, when you know when you're speaking in tongues and someone interprets, it's always directed to God. That's what it says in 1 Corinthians 14. It's a prayer or it's praise. If someone says, I have the interpretation, and they bust out, thus saith the Lord, that's a prophecy. That is not an interpretation. And that's why Paul warns, hey, if no one has the interpretation, then Speak quietly to yourself. Why? Because it's just between you and God. And so there's, the reason I share that is because there's giftings that God gives, but don't make it about whether you have tongues or not. Because I know there are people who demonstrate a spirit-filled life and they've never spoken in tongues in their life. And then sadly, I know people who speak in tongues all the time and I'm like, ugh, you need to get saved probably before you, you keep living that life. Seriously. Because there's something about the spirit that brings about pride in people. We think it's about us and it's not. It's about what God's doing. So, but here's the thing. The Holy Spirit brings gifts. We need gifts because gifts are God's dynamic power in our life to accomplish his purpose, which is way beyond us. So here's a perfect example of it. So one of the gifts that's listed in some of the different giftings is the gift of healing. There's also a gift of faith. So when you understand that, that means that God wants to use you to allow somebody else to experience a physical healing in their life and give you the faith and other people's faith to believe for that. Why? Because God loves that person and wants to begin to transform their lives. That's why the gifts of the Spirit are not necessarily given primarily for a Sunday gathering. They're given for our everyday lives. So in the last two and a half weeks, it's been years and years and years since I experienced, experienced this. In the last two and a half weeks, I've literally witnessed three people in front of my eyes being healed. 
three people. I mean, and, and it's undeniable. It's not like, oh, okay, they just, you know, they, they had a little, you know, hangnail and it's all better now. No, this is like severe pain gone. And the last one happened on Tuesday night in our laundromat. So, yeah, we've started to pray for people in laundromats because they keep asking us. And so someone was dealing with severe pain, and they asked someone to pray. And so I was standing there, and they prayed for them. And then she, the gal who was prayed for, came over, and we were having a conversation, not about what had just happened. And she's looking at me, and I can tell she's not listening to me. She starts doing this. She starts going back and forth. And I'm like, what are you doing? She goes, I don't have any pain. I said, are you serious? She goes, no, I, I can move. I, I couldn't even do that like two minutes ago, and I don't have any pain. And I'm like, well, what do you think? She goes, God healed me. I'm like, yeah, right here in the laundromat. Figure that out. That's the power of God. That's why this is supposed to happen because there's a testimony. And it was funny is then when we're leaving, somebody else witnessed that from afar. And before we left, we're leaving. They're like, whoa. She's like through one of our, one of our Spanish speakers. No, no, no. Can you pray for me? And so did. She has an issue with her knee. So we prayed for her. See, that's, the, that's, what, that's normal Christianity. Now, there's a testimony in, in that laundromat of God's power showing up in people's lives. So the Holy Spirit brings gifts. Second thing, we need the Holy Spirit because he brings unity. In verse 5, it says, And now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from under every nation under heaven. And at the sound of the multitude, they came together. They were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own, his own language. This is so powerful. One of the reasons we live in isolation is because we haven't experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit because the, the Spirit will always draw you back into fellowship. He'll always draw you back into unity. He will always confront your prejudices with people you don't like. This is what's so powerful. They're speaking in languages they don't understand, but the person standing next to them understands everything because their native tongue is different. These are people who have come to Jerusalem from all different places and all different backgrounds. And now this thing, language, that has separated them, which, by the way, pretty powerful. Back in, in Genesis 11, you remember what we call the Tower of Babel, the story where because of the wickedness of humanity, God gave them languages to divide them? What's happening in Acts chapter 2? God's giving languages to do what? To unite them. That's the power of the church. This is a picture of the church. The church is supposed to be as diverse as the world, yet united. That's what the power of the Spirit does. So it brings unity in our lives. And then there's a third thing that the Holy Spirit does when, when, we're, when he works in us. He causes us to glorify God and praise him. That's what happens. It's never about us taking glory. It's never about us doing something. It's about praising him. Not even just through the gift of tongues that many people have, but the result is what? God gets the glory. And that's what, what did they hear? They were hearing the praises of God in their own language. So their focus wasn't on the per person necessarily speaking in tongues. Their focus was on who God is. God is doing something amazing here. That's the whole point of the, the Spirit's working is not for us to gather people to a building. It's to get us scattered and let God be demonstrated and let his glory be demonstrated in our community. That's what it is. That's what was happening here. That's what was happening in the book of Acts. And so those, those three things are what the Spirit brings when we experience the fullness by his presence. And then there's a fourth question. Why do I not experience the filling of the Holy Spirit? Anyone be, ever at, be willing to admit you, you've asked that question once or twice in your life? I have. I have. And this is a difficult one. There's a, there's a lot of people will come along and say, well, it's because you're in sin. And well, it's because this. If, if God works by grace, then he doesn't choose if you're good enough in order for him to fill you with the Spirit. So if anyone's ever told you you're not being filled with the Spirit because you're a sinner, then we're all sunk, Right? Because one of the things that you, by the way, side note, you will notice if you read through the entire Bible, 
When the Holy Spirit shows up and works in somebody's life, one of the things that does not occur, this is really important, is the Holy Spirit doesn't change your character. The fruit of the Spirit does. There's a difference between the two. See, people think, oh, man, God must love me because I walk on water. That's why he's filled me with the Holy Spirit. But if you read through how many people were filled with the Spirit and their lives were messed up. You know, four times in the book of Judges, it says that Salmon, the Spirit of God, came on Samson. Four times. The last time I checked, Samson was a selfish, vengeful, bitter, idolatrous guy that never really did anything for anybody. I'll apologize to Samson someday when I see him, okay? But he was filled with the Spirit. How, how does it, because you and I have to understand, God doesn't choose to fill you with the Spirit because you're good enough. He chooses to fill you with the Spirit because he loves people. And there's people around you that need to experience God's power, which doesn't mean, hey, Pastor John said I could go out and live like heck, and then the Holy Spirit's going to work. No, I did not say that, okay? Just to clarify. But this understanding is that you and I have to understand that there are things that, that may be inhibitors for us to experience. The first one is this. Look at verse 12. And that is, first of all, we try to understand the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit mentally. So verse 12, what does it say? It says, after all this is unfolding, by the way, it's spilled into the streets now. It's not just in the upper room. Stuff's happening. People are gathering. It says, they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? The underlying question is this. Is this God or is this just insanity? That's what's going on. So they're trying to, people are witnessing people speaking in a language they don't understand, but they can tell people don't understand the language, and they're looking at this, and they can't find a rational, mental explanation for it. So immediately, what do they start doing? They start trying to explain it away. Now, here's the thing that I've noticed about the way God works. God is not limited by our mental capacity. If he is, then you, you don't need God. If God can't work in a way that you don't understand, then we're all in trouble. Now, does God use uh, ration, or, or excuse me, does God use rational means? Yes, he does, but hear me. At the end of the day, one of the things that distinguishes God from humanity is God knows things that we don't understand. That's what makes him God. And in this case, that means that there is a place where you have to surrender to the Holy Spirit to say, I can't fully explain what's going on, but I trust that God is good and he knows what he's doing. That is so important. But if you try to understand everything through your brain, you won't get it. Because guess what your brain's controlled by? It's controlled by your sin nature, and it'll always go down the road that tries to disprove God, as opposed to your spirit, which you rely on to trust God that he knows what he's doing. So the first thing is that we have to be aware of this reality, that we can't try to mentally understand fully what God is doing. We have to trust him. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, 14. He says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Usually clarity comes on the backside of a work of God, not on the front side. It's when you trust that God works. Second thing, also one of the reasons we may not experience the fullness of the Spirit is that we try to mock it arrogantly. It says, but others mocked. They saw what's going on. They're like, ah, this can't really be going on. And so they actually start making fun, saying, oh, you're a bunch of drunk people is what you are. Which, by the way, way too early in the morning to be drunk, even in that day and age. So they're saying, oh, there's got to be this reason. So they literally, they're mocking what's going on. And they're, they're mocking the work of God. Now, most of us in this room, we say, well, I would never do that. But, you know, we have a tendency to do that and not even realize it. Because what we do is the things that we're afraid of and the things that are extreme, we look at and then we mock, oh, that can't be God. And what we may be mocking is something that maybe isn't a work of God, but you know what we've done in the process? We've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. 
And this is the tragedy of the work of the Spirit. Because in our flesh we abuse and we get crazy and we think the wilder the better and we blame that on God and people react against that is that the tragedy is so many people don't experience the fullness of the Spirit because of the abuses of the Spirit. And that breaks my heart as a pastor to see people shut down because they are afraid of the craziness of, the, of what humans have done to the work of the Spirit. And we have to be careful of that. But we have to be careful that we also don't go to the other extreme when we don't believe it and we become jaded and pessimistic that we actually mock what God is trying to do. We, our responsibility is to weed through the humanity. That's always what it is, to get to what God is doing. And sometimes we get stuck on the humanity. So I, I'm pretty passionate about this because my background is pretty diverse. I grew up at a Pentecostal church, and in high school, I went to an anti-Pentecostal church, and then in college, I was at a Presbyterian church. Pretty diverse, let me tell you, and they all had different theologies and different belief systems. But it was interesting, when I came out in high, middle of high school, all my friends were going to another church, and so I gravitated, I ended up going to this church, so I went from a Pentecostal kind of context that believed in the work of the Spirit to one that was not just non-Pentecostal, was anti that if you spoke in tongues or you did anything that what we would consider from the book of Acts, that's not for today. In fact, you might actually be demon-possessed. That was their theology. So I go from growing up in this environment to this, and I, for two years I found out all the reasons why the church I came from was absolutely wrong. That's what the context was. And some of my friends who I'd gotten to know, they knew my experience. I had told them. In fact, when they found out where I came from, the first question was, oh, do you speak in tongues? And I said, yeah, I do. They're like, oh, whoa. Not kidding. They kind of stood like, you, I'm like, yeah, don't you? No, that's, that's something from the devil. I'm like, not last time I checked. It's in my Bible. I think it's yours too. And so, but they started to realize I, I wasn't some weird extremist. And so they, obviously, they stuck around. They were my friends, but there were times. I remember one time in particular. It was a Sunday morning, and this was a sizable church. So their youth group, their high school group alone was like three or 400 students. So we're in, 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 in the gym, and their youth pastors teaching about 1 Corinthians 14 and about tongues and prophecy and all these things. And so he starts to share this story of an extreme situation that was completely out of line in a Pentecostal context. As a Pentecostal, I was offended by it. But he explained that that's normal for those Pentecostals, and that's why this is such a dangerous thing that you shouldn't be a part of. And as he's telling the story, kids are starting to laugh. And my friends who knew me turned around and they looked at me, some of them out of concern and some of them out of laughter. And I remember I was sitting there with hundreds of kids around me feeling like an idiot because I was the only one in the room that I could tell that had that experience and I knew it was real for me. And afterwards, after I grew older, I thought it grieved me to think there are students in that room that will never open themselves up to the work of the Spirit because a youth pastor made fun of it. And they thought that all that's all that it was. So I say that to understand that you and I have to be careful. Don't mock the work of the Holy Spirit. Be aware of the abuses of humanity, but don't lose the baby in the bathwater because otherwise you and I won't experience all that God has for us. Third thing, last part of verse 13. We miss out on the work of the Spirit because we try to explain it naturally. So at the end of verse 13, or what do they say? They're filled with new wine. They're drunk. We know what's going on. Somebody passed the bottle around, it was a little early in the morning, they drank too much, and now they're out of control, and it's just this rager that's spilled into the streets, and they're drunk. There's a completely natural explanation for it. You know what's interesting? The majority of humanity, when God shows up in power, that's our default. We have to find a natural reason for this. Why? Because if it's something outside of the natural, it scares us. 
God is supernatural. And we live in the natural. So when the supernatural shows up, we're not, we, this is, wait, wait, we don't know how to handle this. So they're trying to say, oh, no, no, this is just, this is just they're drunk. No, they, they, weren't, they weren't drunk. They were experiencing the fullness of the Spirit, which is interesting, though, because drunkenness and being filled with the Spirit are equated a couple different times in the Scriptures. Now, hear me. This is not justifying you going and drinking and saying you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, because you're not. You're filled with a Spirit, but not the Spirit, okay? <laughs> That's why Paul says this in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, do not get drunk with wine. But he says what? For that leads to debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. See, what happens when you get drunk? You lose a sense of control. But you've submitted yourself to something that is not in control. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you lose a sense of control, but you've submitted the, yourself to the person who is in control. And there's a huge difference between the two. And that's why for us, there is not a natural explanation for being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's supernatural. That is it. It's It's, it's nature. So that means there's a surrendering to God of what he wants to do and then letting him do it. Now listen, God is not disruptive. God is not disorderly. God works in order. That's clear. And so that's why we have to be careful that when we experience God's power, we're not manipulating something to make it about us, which is what happens often. When it gets the wilder, the better. People do crazy things. Why? Because you want to, I really got the spirit on me. No, you just got a lot of flesh in you. Because if the Spirit was at work in you, he wouldn't be, be disruptive to the people around you. We have to be careful with that. Then there's a last question, and that's this. How can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? So obviously we've seen from this passage their journey. They were leaning in. They were, they were leaning on each other. They were waiting for God to show up. They were ready to go out and be a part of God's mission. They knew they were in the deep end, and so they were expecting that God was going to show up and he was going to do something. So how do you and I experience the fullness of, fullness of the Spirit? How do we experience it maybe again and again, which we're supposed to, by the way, that's ongoing to be filled with the Spirit. Maybe for some of us, how do we experience for the first time? So in Luke chapter 11, Jesus tells this, this story, this parable of a neighbor who goes to his neighbor's house in the middle of the night and pounds on the door because someone's showing up to his house and he needs bread and he's out of bread. So he's pounding on the door and he's saying, answer the door, answer the door. You need to come to the door because I need bread. Now, anybody, let's just be honest. If your neighbor came knocking on your door at two in the morning and yelling for bread, would, would you answer the door or would you tell him to go home? You'd probably tell him to go home, right? Unless my house is on fire, there's some emergency going on, please don't bother me, I'm trying to sleep. But this neighbor just kept pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding and pounding. In fact, NIV translates this word this way in, in Luke chapter 11. It describes that guy as being shamelessly audacious. He would not give up. He was going to keep pounding until his neighbor came to the door and gave him what he was asking for. Then Jesus says this. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 13, he says, If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. So this, this shameless guy who's pounding on the door for his neighbor to give him bread, how much more the, the God who loves you in heaven will give you what you ask for through the work of the Spirit in your life? God doesn't give bad gifts. He only gives good gifts. And that's why Jesus goes on and says there's, there's three postures, asking, seeking, and knocking. Ongoingly. I'm asking, God, I'm asking. I'm asking for your spirit to fill me. I'm asking. And I'm seeking after that. What am I missing? What am I not seeing that you want me to see? And surrendering in humility for God to do his, his work. And then sometimes you're just pounding. God, you've got to break through. I need your spirit to fill me. I don't have the ability to do this. 
Only you have power that I need right now, and so you're going after God. That's what they were doing. That's what we're doing 2,000 years ago. That's why the Holy Spirit shows up and boom, power happens. This is the birth of the church 2,000 years ago. That's what God wants to continue to do today. The hope of the world is Jesus through his church. And the only thing holding back from Jesus' work is not the world. It's the church. It's us. And when God does his work, he doesn't start out there. He starts right here. He starts with people being obedient to his call and people following him and people surrendering to him. And when his people finally get it, then the world gets it. It's always been that way. It started with Israel. When Israel would get it, the world would get it. When Israel didn't get it, the world suffered. And the church is the same today. So what I'm going to ask you to do, I'm going to ask you if you would close your eyes. In fact, the worship team is going to come and join us, and we're going, to, we're going to sing one last song as a point of response. But I want you to close your eyes because I want to address a couple of things, and I want to prepare our hearts for, for what God may want to do. So hear me when I say this. I have been praying this morning and leading up to this week with intention of not wanting to prescribe the way that God's going to work in these moments. The last thing I want to do is put God in a box. But I'm going to ask that there would be two things that you would do in the next few moments. The first one is this. Would you be willing to surrender and find a posture out of obedience of what God is calling you to do that would respond to not only in your own mind, but in your physical body that says, Jesus, I surrender. I surrender to the work of your spirit in my life that you would come and you would fill me. So that might mean you need to stand. That might mean that you need to kneel. That might mean that you need to come to the front. But I know unless it's a physical limitation, I know one thing for sure, it's going to mean you're not going to be able to sit down. That's the one thing I know that I was, I was feeling the Lord say, there can't be any apathy or passiveness, but there has to be some physical response of posturing ourselves to say, God, I'm surrendering to you. The second thing, and I want us to be very careful, if the Lord begins to do a work in you, know this, that he will do it in such a way that he won't cause attention embarrassment to come to you, but he also won't distract the rest of the people in this room. So please don't allow your flesh to respond in a way that would somehow derail somebody else's encounter with the Holy Spirit this morning. If God wants to do something, he'll do something. But be aware that usually God's going to do something that is profound to you, not something that is disruptive to somebody else. So find a posture where you can seek him, you can surrender to him, but at the same time, be mindful that God is at work in you, but God is also at work in other people and what he's doing right now. So Lord Jesus, in these, these next few moments, you prescribe what you want to do. If you want to give people a gift of tongues, if you want to fill them with power, Lord, we know that you literally shook, shook physical places in the New Testament when your spirit showed up. We know that you gave boldness and courage when your spirit showed up. But Lord, I don't know what you want to do today, but I know that you want to fill us. So Lord, as we surrender ourselves to you, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit in such a way that so that every single person in this room knows they have had an encounter with you. And you have begun to rearrange our lives and you begin to bring renewal to our hearts. We ask that you would accomplish this in your name, Jesus.